Well, I'm Solomon uh, Reese, uh, Solomon Nelson, and it's my privilege to share God's word with you this morning. And today we're going to focus on a very, very familiar passage to us, um, found in Matthew 14, 22 to 33. We must have uh, read this and uh, heard sermons on this. So I just want to point a few things uh, that kind of caught my eye that I thought would be a blessing to you as well. Jesus walks on water. Matthew 14, 22 and 33. Now, when Jesus was on this earth, um, he was teaching his disciples. Um, Every day was a lesson. And there were so many lessons that he was trying to teach again and again uh, because disciples are just like us, slow learners. Uh, Sometimes we learn, but we are quick to forget. Um, Especially... Uh, you know, when you are a student, just imagine that, like, um, if you can remember your student days, we went through the whole process. How much do you remember from what you studied back in school? Now, education is not a, it's a very expensive affair, right? I mean, it's become so expensive these days. Kids spend thousands of dollars. But at the end of the day, how much do they remember? Beyond their grades, how much do they remember at the end of it? Two years down the road, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, how much do you remember? I cannot do a seventh grade math, honest to God. I've been through the whole thing. As soon as we take our exams, that's the end of it. We just move on. And one of the things that you will remember, if at all, will be some of your favorite teachers, some of their memorable uh, lectures, so to speak. It could be the the topic that caught your eye, or it could be the methodology in which it it was done. Those are the things that kind of stick to your memory. Or it could be your experiences. Uh, Could be funny, could be sad, could be dumb. Those are the ones that kind of stick to you. When I was a student, um, I mean, I had the privilege of listening to so many great professors and I was blessed in that. But of all, I remember one of them, full of energy, it's a small guy, a little frame, but full of energy. And one day he just, walked in, he always walks in, you know, with a smile, and uh, he won't come and settle down. He just enters the room walking and talking. That's how he is. Like, the moment he enters, he just, you know, starts his lecture. And uh, this one time, we were kids and having our comfortable places, our favorite spots in the classroom, and, you know, relaxing. He just said, we're going out. And he took us out. These are college kids. He took us out, made us walk through those bushes and, you know, um, it was not a well-kept garden. But he made us walk through those things and made us sit under a tree. Not very clean. There might be some thorns here and there, people were complaining. But he made us sit under a tree and he taught us poetry, especially this one particular poem. 
I remember that. Of all his lectures, I remember that the most. The experiential teaching, the methodology in which the, the topic was taught. I believe there is something like this happening here in this passage. Matthew 14, 22 and 33, where Jesus is giving, using a different methodology to teach the same lesson he's been trying to teach his disciples again and again, again and again. The lesson on faith. Matthew 14, 22 and 33, let's read. Jesus walks on water. Immediately, this is immediately after the feeding of 5,000 uh, with five loaves and two fishes. And people say it should have been more than 5,000. Some say it's 15,000, some say it's 20,000. So it's a huge affair. So after that miracle, feeding the 5,000, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, speak to us, Lord. Thank you for this time you've given us, Lord, where we could be together this morning. Sing your praises, Lord, and open your word and study your word, Father. Give us your grace to listen to your word. Give us your grace, Lord, to respond to your word, oh, Father. And give me grace to speak as well. I need your touch. And be glorified through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this passage of Jesus walking on water is sandwiched between two miracles. Before this, we just saw uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then after this, there are a couple verses towards the end where they go on to the other side of the shore, and immediately the people are waiting for them. And Jesus heals the sick. Whoever shows up gets healed on that particular day. Now, the context of this is this. Right after the miracle of feeding the 5,000, Jesus wants to be alone. He sends his disciples on a boat, and he says he, he immediately wanted them to leave. Kind of rush them, please, leave. He wanted some time to be alone, to pray, just like he always did. After a long day of ministry, he should have been physically you know, exhausted, uh, mentally draining uh, experience, a um, lot of people, a lot of talking and ministering. So he wanted to be alone, a time of refreshing, waiting on the Lord, talking to his dad, just like he always did. 
Before that, if you read the earlier passage, we also find that John the Baptist was beheaded, who was Jesus' cousin. Maybe that also was on his mind. The significance of his death and what it meant for his ministry, the full fulfillment of his call. It's a lot going on for him. So he sends his disciples before him. Now these disciples are fishermen. Some of them are fishermen. People who have been born and brought up uh, near the ocean. Being on the waters is not something new. Uh, back in those days, fishermen, there was a trade. And if it was a trade, you learned it you know, from your family. So uh, for generations, they would have been fishermen. Heard stories, had experienced, um, you know, experience on the water, sailing. It's not something new. So this was supposed to be just another night on the boat, on the water, with friends. A lot of talking, reflecting on what just happened, talking about how Jesus was able to feed the 5,000 with no, almost nothing, telling stories, singing songs, having fun. Or maybe tired, some of them were sleeping, possible. But then we also see that um, there is a storm, heavy winds. And that's when Jesus intervenes their night with the lesson on faith. Now this faith, before we go any further, faith is foundation to a Christian life. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So again and again, Jesus was trying to teach this lesson of faith to his disciples. And this is not the first time the disciples were caught on a storm. If you read Matthew 8, we see a similar scenario. But then Jesus was back then in that boat with them. He was sleeping, but he was in the boat with the disciples when they were caught in the storm. And they woke Jesus up. Don't you care? We are going down. And he got up and he calmed the sea. So this was the second time that they are caught up in a storm, like a situation. But Jesus was not there with them this time. Maybe they wondered, where is God when it matters? I wish he was there with us. He could have calmed the storm. We don't have to struggle so much. When we go through a storm, these are the questions we have. Where is God when it matters? Where is he when he calls out to him? I've been praying all along. Where is my answer? Why doesn't he show up? So this incident begins in fear and doubt, but ends in worship. Now faith is a gift from God. It's not by works, we know that. It is not up to us to have faith. It is given to us as a gift. Paul knew it. In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he says this, reflecting on his past life, he says, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Look at all the things that he used to describe himself, his past life. I am a blasphemer a persecutor and a violent aggressor. 
I hated Christ. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. But the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It's the work of grace. It is the work of grace that gave the gift of faith and then gave him the love for Jesus. Faith is a gift. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we find this. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author and finisher of our faith. If you read ESV, it uses the word, he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter of our faith. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9, it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as the result of works so that one may boast. Not saved by works. Again and again we see this idea. It is a gift. Charles Spurgeon says this, faith is like a diamond. Even the little faith is a little diamond. It is precious. Hold on to it. Cherish it. Celebrate it. Let not the enemy sow words of unbelief, discouragement, point you towards your failures, point you towards the struggles, your lack of victory, lack of this and that. If you are a child of God, if you believe Christ, if you put your faith in Christ and take him as your savior, the faith that God has given you, it's a gift from God. Angels celebrated when you became a believer. There was a huge party in heaven on account of your faith. It is God's work in your life. Celebrate it. That is the reason to celebrate. It doesn't matter how your life looks like this morning. You are, if you are a believer, you are alive. You were dead in trespasses, but now you're alive. You were blind, but now you have eyes to see. You have a heart to believe. There is a love for God. It's a work of grace. Let's celebrate that. Your eternity is secure. What more can we ask? Your eternity is secure. Rejoice. But then we also see our faith is imperfect. Now this incident, most Bibles will, will, will title this passage as saying, Jesus walks on water. But that is only part of the story. Now this incident uh, where Jesus walks on water uh, appears in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and John records this incident. The disciples are out on the sea, and there is a storm, and Jesus comes walking towards them. Now this incident is recorded in three Gospels, except Luke. We have Matthew, Mark, and John record this. But only in Matthew, we find that Peter also walked on water. How crazy it must have been to witness if you are a disciple in that boat, in that night, going through the storm, 
the winds and the waves like crazy, and you see your friend, you see your brother stepping out, you know, out of the boat and walking on water. Some have criticized this. You know, Jesus himself says, oh, you are little faith, because he went down. But I want to focus on the other aspects that we also see in this passage that very often we, it's kind of overlooked. Um, if you watched Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker, another movie Spider-Man, Peter Parker gets bitten, sorry, gets bitten uh, by this radioactive spider. And then he gets these spider powers that helps him climb. He can climb on walls, jumps from, jump from buildings. That's power that's in him. He just discovers this power accidentally. He breaks stuff and he just sees web, spider web coming from his palms. You know, it just, just happens. When Peter walked on water, it's not he had the supernatural gift of walking on water. It was not like that. Peter can only walk as long as he obeyed the voice of Christ, as long as he was looking to Christ. It was not Peter's abilities. It was not about Peter in any way. It was Jesus and his authority. It was the power of his word. It was his command. The word that was sent forth to accomplish its purpose. That's what made Peter walk. It was all Jesus. God is the perfecter of our faith. He is the founder and he is the perfecter of our faith because we are imperfect on our own. Our faith is imperfect. Peter had the faith to step out of the boat. He was a leader among the disciples, one of the senior members, one of the early members to follow Jesus. So maybe the young ones looked up to Peter. He was the first one to speak always. And he was in the inner circle of Jesus. Peter, John, and James. Maybe Peter thought, I have the faith to walk on water. You just say the word Jesus. You just command me to walk. And I will walk. I will keep my end of the bargain. Just say the word. I will take care of the rest. I got this. Water is not something new. I was born to, to sail. I don't know what he thought. But his faith was not tested. He has never been tested like this. And when it was tested, his faith was found wanting. He could not stand up to the winds of trial. Our faith is imperfect in many ways. It is not just Peter whose faith is imperfect. Even the great ones in the Bible, even the ones whose name has been recorded in Hebrews 13, the hall of fame of faith, fathers of faith, even they failed in the same area. Abraham is usually called the father of faith. 
he failed. If you look at Abraham's life, not once, twice, he lies about the identity of his wife, Sarah. When he goes to a new place, he is scared. Maybe the king will kill Sarah because, sorry, kill me because my wife is so beautiful and the, the king might want to take her. And so he lies to the king saying, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Half truth. But meant to deceive. He was not able to believe God, that God is going to bless him. Not once, twice he, he does it. And God had to intervene. Through a dream, he speaks to the king and delivers Abraham. Even the heathen king kind of scolds Abraham. Why did you lie to me? Not once, twice, Abraham fails. David, the man who risked everything to go and fight Goliath, the man who fought the little boy who fought the giant, he failed. When he became a king, he started to number his army. He wanted to see how many strong men he had in his army who can fight and bring victory. He forgot that his victory was, came from God, not from his men, not from the strong men, the valiant men who fought, for him, fought in his army. Elijah brought fire from heaven. But the next chapter, we see him on his knees crying, please kill me, Lord, I want to die. Even the great ones, their faith is imperfect. And that's why we need God to perfect our faith. The founder and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith. We can never be self-confident in our abilities. Peter was a mixture of strength and weakness. He begins strong. What a great question. Lord, if it is you, command me to come. He had the faith to risk it all. The desire to step out of the boat. When the sea is roaring, he says, I want to walk. You have the power. I know you have the power. Say the word, Lord. He begins strong. He bravely steps out of the boat, courageously, you know, takes the first step, tests the water, takes a few steps, walks a few steps. Matthew says he's walked to the Lord. But he also shows weakness in that he goes down. His eyes begin to wander. He looks at the, the wind and the waves. It's too much, too high, too strong, too powerful. His fears catch up to him. And we see he, he is weak. You know, we live in Buffalo. And some, some nights, the winds are too strong. Some nights I've thought, maybe next morning when I wake up, I won't have a roof on my head. I felt that. Just imagine out on the ocean, how strong those winds would have been. The noise, the sound. That would have scared him. We are exactly like Peter. A bundle of strength and weakness. Some days we are strong. Some days we have the energy to, to step out in faith, to do great things, to pray great prayers, to think great thoughts, 
but some days we are weak, we struggle. It is a difficulty to get out of the bed. We don't have energy to do anything. We doubt, we are scared, we are anxious. We give in to thoughts of discouragement. A bundle of strength and weakness, and that's why we need God as the perfecter of our faith. And thank God we have a, somebody like that who perfects our faith. Faith demands that we take God at his word. There is no backup plan. There is no plan A, plan B. There is only one plan. The plan is to obey. Take God at his word. When he says, come, you just go. There is no backup plan. There is no swimming allowed when God calls you to walk on water. You know, we, we never see Peter trying to swim. I'm pretty sure, you know, he knows how to swim. Why didn't he try swimming? There is no plan B. And God calls you to walk, you walk. Total surrender. Take God at his word. Now this is so essential in the lesson of faith. We don't go to faith with a plan B, with a backup plan. If this doesn't work, I have an alternate plan. That is not faith. Faith only has one plan, obey God, no matter what it takes. We see that in the life of David. We talked about David and Goliath. Just imagine David in the ring with Goliath. There is no plan B. Either you kill him or you be killed. There is no plan B. Everything laid out on, in the ring. Total obedience, total surrender, takes bigger faith to surrender all to Jesus. The irony is this, you know, Jesus taught Peter that he is weak even in the area of strength. Now, Peter would have been an expert swimmer. We don't know if they, he went you know, deep sea diving, I don't know. That was his area of strength. But even in that area, he was weak. He was scared. It was too much for him. Somebody said, those who leave everything in God's hands, everything in God's hands, will eventually see God's hands in everything. Those who leave everything in God's hands will eventually see God's hand in everything. He's the one who called you. He's the one who gave you the command to come out. If we can give up control, if we, if we can give up trying to run our lives, then God will show up. When Jesus called out to Peter, he didn't give him guidelines. There was no blueprint, no manual, no warning, no trial runs. There was just nothing. Just obey my word. Everything else will fall in place. Patience is another key ingredient to faith. Patience, perseverance, endurance. 
Peter walked, but he couldn't hold on. You know, Moses had to learn this lesson of patience and the Israelites as well. 40 years in the desert. Just imagine they're waiting for a fulfillment of the promise. Waiting 40 years to inherit the promised land. Abraham waited 20 years to inherit this blessing. Patience. Endurance. Perseverance. Holding on. Taking at his word. Faith is a, Martin Luther says this, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that man could stake his life on it a thousand times. This kind of unshaken belief that he said it and he's going to do it. Doesn't matter how long it takes. Doesn't matter how the circumstances look like. Scary thoughts. He's going to do it. And I will wait patiently till my salvation comes from him. It's interesting that Jesus did not calm the storm immediately. We will, we will see that. They had to walk back to the boat. And only after they got onto the boat, the wind stopped. It was like Jesus telling Peter, hold on. A little more. Trust me a little more. You can trust me. And only when they got on the boat, the wind stopped. Because when Peter was beginning to go down, Jesus could have stopped the storm right away. Because he was scared of the fear, the, the wind and the waves, right? He didn't do it. He helped Peter trust him through the waves, in that storm, in, during, in, through that difficulty, that fearful circumstances. He wants Peter to trust him. That's what faith demands. Patience. And trust him, take him at his word. But why do we doubt? Why do we doubt? Besides being impatient, we want salvation immediately. We want answers right away. We cannot wait. We want God to answer on our terms, the way we want. Of course, that is there. Impatience is there. And there is also this ignorance about God's power sometimes. God's care, his loving care about our relationship with him, maybe about his sovereign plan. There is ignorance, a degree of ignorance there. Sometimes there can also be forgetfulness. We are so quick to forget. I was studying on this topic of forgetfulness and I was trying to find a reference and there are about 40 to 50 scripture verses on this theme alone, forgetting God. Israelites forgetting God. When faced with problems, when things become tough, 
when we struggle, when we go through storms of life, we quickly forget all things that God has done for us in the past. Peter was quick to forget what has happened before this incident. What they have witnessed throughout the day, they were witnessed great deliverance. The kind of which they have never seen. Feeding the great multitude almost with nothing. He's been witness to what Jesus could do. The power of his word. The miracles that he was able to perform. He was quick to forget that. Even the very fact that he was standing on the water is a miracle. So that life that he was living right then, that was a miracle. Why does he have to worry about drowning? Because the sea was raging when he took the first step, remember? There was storm raging. The disciples were struggling to row. That's how the, the, the incident begins. So when he took the first step, there was storm, there was wind, there was waves. And scripture says he walked. What is the need to worry now? What is the need to doubt? What is the need to be scared? He was quick to forget everything. His fears, doubts got the better of him. How does God deal with us when we fail, when we fall, when we doubt? First thing he helps us, that's what he does with Peter. The moment Peter begins to go down, he calls out to God, and Jesus comes and lifts him with an outstretched arm. He's there, quick to help. The moment you call out to him, he's there to help. He delights when people call out to him for help, especially his children. Because we are his children, he is our heavenly father. And he does care about us. The second thing is he rebukes Peter. Why did you doubt? A great question for which there is no answer. Why did you doubt? Have I given a reason for you to doubt? Doubt my word. Doubt my love for you. Doubt my faithfulness. Have I failed you in the past? Have I ever said anything to you that never come to pass, that has never come to pass in your life? Or do you doubt my power? Have I given you a reason to doubt me? Why did you doubt? Have I not kept my promise? We are quick to forget. We are quick to forget everything about God and what he has done for us and who he is to us in our life. It's also interesting to know that Jesus did not say, good job, Peter. You did good for the first time. Maybe next time you'll do better. There was no, no commendation a pat on his back. He was not happy with his little faith because he always wants us to grow in our faith. Take us to the next step. He wants us to believe him more, depend on him more, trust him more. 
So help, rebuke, and also comes restoration. He restores. David says this, he restores my soul. Psalm 103, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. For as, the east is, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then it goes like this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows who we are. There is nothing good in us. He knows we are weak. He knows our feeble frame. That our hearts are prone to wander. That we are quick to forget. That we are ungrateful. And our faith is wanting. And that's why he is the finisher of your faith. The one who has called you, he will carry you home. He restores our souls. Jesus and Peter walking hand in hand back to the boat. That's what I want to see. There is no fear now. There is no doubt because he's the one who's holding my hand. Praise God, we have a God who restores us. The opposite of faith is fear. Fear kills faith. You cannot have both. Mark Twain, a secular writer. Mark Twain lived in Buffalo for a while, in case you didn't know. He says this, I have had a lot of worries in my past. I have had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. Think of that. Because we always imagine the worst. When things go wrong, we imagine the worst. That's why he said, I've always had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. It is my imagination. It is the demons within me that is sowing these thoughts of unbelief. We are afraid because we are weak. And we are afraid because we don't know enough. So sometimes fear is a natural response. How can we not fear? Because we don't have all the answers. Sometimes we don't even have all the questions. We don't even know what questions to ask in life. But then the problem is, our fear is a result of an incomplete equation. It is an incomplete equation. That's why we fear. Troubles plus me equals disaster. Whatever the trouble is, big, small, trouble, plus me, my ability to handle, my ability to understand it, deal with it, equals disaster. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. I don't know what to do. 
but that is an incomplete equation. We forget that God is with us. It is not just my troubles and me. It is my troubles, my God and me. So once you insert God into the equation, everything changes. So most of our fear is because of an incomplete equation. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I don't know, he just put it uh, this way. I never thought about fear in this way, uh, but it kind of made a lot of sense to me when I read this. Look, look, look at what he says. What, after all, is the main cause of the spirit of fear? What, after all, is the main cause of the spirit of fear? And he says this. The answer is self. Self-love, self-concern, self-protection. It is all about me. When I begin to handle this on my own, I'm trying to protect myself. I'm trying to do it on my own, with my wisdom, for my own good. Then that is a problem. It, be, it results in spirit of fear. Had you realized that the essence of this trouble is that these fearful people are really too absorbed in self. How can I do this? What if I fail? And if I fail, what will others think of me? How will I feed my family? How will I deal with this? How will I care for people who depend upon me? All these things centered about me, 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 and my abilities. It is all comes 